We know the kitchen is where it all goes on. We chew the fat, make all of life's big decisions and eat straight from the tin when no one's watching. Join me, Anna Barnett, as I head straight to the heart of our guest home, where I swoon over interiors. I'm impressed by the sheer scale of a fridge and cover the most organised of freezers. We dig deep. Discuss career highs, career lows, condiment shelves and so much more. There's of course plenty of serious food chat. Each week we'll finish things off with our guests' best sandwich efforts and possibly a snoop in their fridge. Today I'm in a kitchen made famous not by the food it serves but by the discos it hosts. Our guests are long-serving icons of the music industry and their award shelf creaks under the weight of Ivan Novello's double platinum albums and an endless list of chart-topping singles. One half of this couple is queen of disco and holds the envious position of being a past Strictly finalist. The other is a musician, producer and writer from one of the biggest bands of the noughties. Their collaborative work spans albums, tours, podcasts and now books. I am of course in the kitchen of husband and wife team Sophie Ellis-Bexter and Richard Jones. Welcome to The Filling and to your own kitchen. Today's guests are husband and wife duo Sophie Ellis-Bexter and Richard Jones. Welcome to The Filling and to your own kitchen. Hey. Hello. <laughs> <Ish>. <laughs> we were in the kitchen. Yeah. We just moved to the lounge, but yeah. we're close. It's a yeah, bit noisy close. in there sometimes. Very, very noisy. How are you both? Yeah, we're good actually. Sort of just. <laughs> well, it's a, a rarely quiet day. The kids are actually back in school. All mm. of them, uh, bar Mickey, yeah. uh, who's upstairs. But um, yeah, it, it has been a madhouse around here for the last few months. Although I think Anna would probably think it still is a bit of a mad task given that while she's been, there's been like three rings at the door. And yeah. <laughs> no, I feel like I'm, I'm used to a lot of couriers, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of packages and deliveries. <laughs> How has this uh, last year been for you? We're kind of coming to the end, fingers crossed, of lockdown. Life is returning to normal. Mm. How was it? Oh, mixed bag, I think. Um, it hasn't been all bad. You know, we've we've had lots of lovely moments. You know, if luckily we all do actually like each other. So I think, you know. <laughs> and still like each yeah, other. Yeah, still like each other, yeah. So there's been some, you know, lovely family time. And um, I think in a lot of ways it's been massively significant, actually. It's probably this real little period of time. And Richard and I really early on into the first lockdown started doing these gigs from home, which we called the Kitchen Disco. And that's been something we carried on throughout the whole of the, we only did the last one this month so it's yeah. been a it's really been something that's been our friend throughout the whole time but you know there's lots of other stuff going on it's scary times for people in our line of workers and we haven't always been doing the things yeah, we thought we'd I mean, do yeah or we had a full summer and year of gigs that got immediately cancelled and we're still not back to that we haven't done a gig since last january mm-hmm. how um, does that feel is it a performer it's very weird and i've spoken to a lot of musician friends and about that the effect on all of our mental health for as much as anything else, because there's a sort of thing that happens with performing where you get this nerves and then you get this release and you get these endorphins. And I've been doing it since I left school. And so this is the longest I've gone since I left school without doing a gig. And you don't realize how, how kind of used to, it's not even to do with the money you earn, but to do just that routine. But I think, you know, that's part of why most artists musicians I know had the instinct to just put themselves out there particularly in the first lockdown to be like here's me singing a song here's me doing something and that's very much what happened with the kitchen discos wasn't it that we just felt like we just need to do something and what and and really that was just you know because normally we're very private and we don't put our kids faces on 
on social media <laughs> or on anything but we just felt like well everyone's stuck at home feeling weird and that's kind of doesn't matter at the moment and we just basically were like we wanted to invite everyone over and go like just come in and see our madhouse and you know all the stuff in the kitchen <laughs> the mirror ball the things that was already there we just oh. yeah so it wasn't like a Let's do something different. It was like, this is something that's already here. Come kind of how we cope with stuff, isn't it? Yeah. In our house and how, what we always do, good times and bad, is like put some music on, change the atmosphere, chase ourselves up, be a bit daft. So you've yeah. always been having kind of kitchen discos? Yeah, well, with the, yeah, and parties and things. <laughs> and, and we have the mirror ball and, the, as I said, and the disco lights. And we just have a button where you literally switch the whole thing on and have a little dance around. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, mainly with the kids and, and sometimes with friends. But it was it was that sort of feeling of wanting to wanting to find a connection and find something, an escape, which is what yeah. music and art's for, just something different. Um, and obviously it, it really connected and it kind of put us in a really different path from what we were doing um and then but but otherwise we just spent the rest of the time in the kitchen cooking good (laughs) and that is what i'm exactly what i'm here to talk about um so i was gonna say we have to we have to start with the kitchen i'm super excited to be in the now famous or near the now famous Mm -hmm. uh kitchen disco kitchen you have to talk us through your setup in there so um, we've kind of seen the disco area, which is plenty of room for a party. But talk us through the rest of the setup in the kitchen. The cooking area. The cooking area, the important part. It's the, well, we, it's the hub yeah. of the house, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah, kitchen. we got it renovated a couple of years ago, didn't we? Yeah. Um, Who made the shouts? Who decided what it looked like? It was it both, it's, it's both pretty of mutual, us, actually. actually. Yeah. We had quite the same sort of thoughts about what, what it should look like, didn't we? And we just enjoyed the process of changing it. Because when we moved in, it was a very magnolia kitchen. and. Yeah. It was all quite new, so we had no real yeah, we didn't feel excuse like, of like, oh, we just need to up, let's modernise it. It felt a bit yeah. wasteful to just rip it out yeah. when it was brand new. So, so we so had we, a good decade of that. <laughs> yeah, well, you put all your weird kind of dolls and stuff around to kind of... <laughs> of course, Dan. ...to make it, to brighten it up. Yeah. But, but we had, yeah, we had a renovation and finally got a massive fridge, which is what oh, we I really love the bloody fridge. You need. Fridge and freezers. Are, you can't have a shared fridge freezer. I'm realizing this now. I'm planning a new kitchen. I need an entire fridge and an entire freezer. Like, mm. you know. Yeah. Especially pipe. with the amount of people that live here. Yeah, so really, we've got, if fridges are sexy, that's a sexy so, fridge. <laughs> yeah, I'm just admiring fridge. your kind of, um, how, like four, five lots of four, is it four pints of milk or eight pints? Of, like the oh, big, the big milk. Pints. Yeah, I mean, we, ha- we get through me a back. lot of milk. We've, we've, I've bred uh, tea drinkers. Yeah. Even Mickey, who's two, wakes up in the morning and says, I want tea. Um, <laughs> you know, he does have a low husky voice. Really. And the 12-year-old goes to bed every night with decaf tea. Nice. And uh, tea is just a big part of our lives, generally. Any and, cereals? I'm oh, thinking, God, yeah. We've oh, got, we've got all of that. Massive cupboard that's exclusively cereals. for cereals. Yeah, and, every, and every morning I have to read out the entire list of what we have, even though they all know. And then they'll say, what? I wasn't listening. And I have to go through it all again. You, um, need, to, you need to draw it up. On the wall, yeah. you need to get the, the... I have got a little board up in there, actually. <laughs> get the menu going. But you, you, also teenage boys, and you know, the bowls of cereal are the go-to snack. Yeah. So the, the evening snack is often a bowl of cereal. Yeah, Sonny comes down every night, doesn't he? He has cereal before bed. He's yeah. 17 now. I and used then, to do that. Um, 17? Yeah, I've got a little, um, like a sort of cafe notice board that says all the options for what you can have in the evening. And it's, yeah, toast or cereals or um, what is it? Hummus on toast isn't there. And there's um, rice cakes and all those things that sort of slightly boring comfort food just before bed. Nice. So not have anything too exciting. Yeah, <laughs> nothing too sweet. So were you running essentially a kind of canteen style offering um, throughout lockdown? Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, three that, meals that, a day. it's been a huge uh, cooking 
affair the last year because nor so, you don't such a big I think enterprise. for a lot of parents you don't I didn't really think about the fact that when the kids are in school that's a meal a day yeah. where they're taken care of but if they're not then it's just basically the kitchen's just rolling so it's yeah. breakfast and then you got about an hour break and then you've got to get lunch on <laughs> Yeah. And then lunch is done and then you again a couple of hours and you've cleaned down, you're back up, you're yeah. back so up and running up. again. And then and when it's when there's seven of us living here, mm-hmm. um, every day it was like a catering fair. But also the other thing is I would say, and again for a lot of people, cooking is I find very soothing and comforting and uh, meditative and yeah. I really enjoy doing it. And when everything kicked off and we were all at home, it was actually something that I really enjoyed. Yeah. yeah. And I just got, I started, I mean, actually, there was one point Kit, who was 12, he actually said, I think it was to you one day, he's like, why, why does daddy keep making all these elaborate meals? <laughs> <laughs> because I was doing like curries with all different side dishes and yeah. stuff. Yeah, you were really in. But it was just a nice thing to do. So I got, nice. I, I did the sourdough. I was going to say, did you do the sourdough? I did the sourdough, <laughs> cliche. And no, but I, I feel like that's quite an achievement because it's not that simple to do is it I think it's like quite a endeavor yeah like and, it wa- and I did mess it up a bunch of times mm-hmm. um I, I ordered a, a mother starter from uh Amazon. neglected mother as she is now Neglect- she, in the back <laughs> yeah, of the she has become a little I've neglected. just tried to revive mine today <laughs> I was I like heard- crap I'm gonna I need to make for catch I heard you I heard they do come back <laughs> yeah feed them yeah yeah. I haven't tried rye yet. rye flour is the key but I d- oh is it okay yeah, no but, white flour but I did also freeze a bit because I read that if you freeze I took a few little sections when when she was doing very well. But yeah, no, I read that um, if you freeze it, then it will come back to life straight away when you thaw it out because it just puts it to sleep. Oh, okay. Rather than if you just leave it, it can kind of starve or something if you don't feed it. But in the freezer, it's like anything. It just, just so stops time. Yeah. So kitchen-wise, any real triumphs meal-wise, anything that the kids are asking for all the time, is it? do you do your big Sunday lunches? We do all of that, really. I think we have, we were thinking the other day, weren't we, of sort of all the things we do pretty regularly and easily we've got about, I'd say something like 50 meals that are kind of sort of in in our, in our roster, sort of in a kind of rotation. But out of that, there's probably like a top 10 things that get made okay. yeah. pretty much weekly, I'd I mean, say. we love, we love a roast. Oh, we really and love a roast. And that's real, we... What, are we going for a meat? Are we Wellington? Yeah. What's the... Usually chicken. Usually chicken, chicken yeah. because it's just the easiest and yeah. Yeah. everyone likes it. Although you did a lovely lamb the other day in the outdoor. Oh, I tell you, okay. yes. Tell the, me. Uh, I tell <laughs> you. No, because we don't do lamb very often, but I got the butcher to uh, to do it, to butterfly it. Yeah. So it took the bone Was out it and shoulder? flattened it. Uh, leg, but butterflied. Leg. And did it in a, because we have one of those Gosney pizza ovens. Right. Again, we use loads over lockdown, but it's not just. It was a present, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a birthday present from Zoe's mum. And we, um, not just for, what I realized is it's great, for, amazing for pizzas, but it's amazing for anything. Yeah, yeah. So you get it really hot and then I just put the, covered it and put the lamb in there, which is marinated um, in in uh, rosemary and garlic and stuff and put it in there for about 20 minutes. That was it. Delicious. And it was so good. Which is really good at using those very hot things like that. I, I get really freaked out when something's got a really intense, intense heat. Even the sandwich toaster, I'm a bit jumpy <laughs> from this. I just don't what? like having things that are capable of burns. But I find, what I found in all like the extent... <laughs> I feel the opposite. I feel really drawn to anything with flames or yeah. stuff that I can, I don't know, really get involved with. <laughs> I love that. But what I found is that over all the I cooking we've the been doing... Thing. Probably the safety. Yeah. But is that I like what I seem to 
basically like is stuff that's cooked really really slowly yeah. for, uh, on a low heat for hours yeah. or something that's cooked really fast really hot yeah that's, those are my two favorite outcomes because yeah. <laughs> if you do really really hot it's normally really juicy and you can kind of then just crisp off the edges yeah, yeah. or you slice the crispy really bits are hungry yeah. the crispy really get hungry when they talk to you yeah, yeah. and I'll start salivating at some point really. I just did when you said about the crispy and the juicy I was like mm. yeah whatever it is I'm not in <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> nothing like a bit of flame. We do really, really love cooking, Rich and I. We spend a lot of time talking about meals, talking about things we ate before, things yeah. we'd like to eat tomorrow, what we might eat tonight. It's, it's something that's a constant source of pleasure for us, isn't it? And I think, you know, the last year has been so, I've been very indulged because Rich has done the like sort of 90% of the cooking when it comes to especially suppers and it's kind of the role you've had. And it's been great because I can see you've really, he's been brilliant at it and yeah. also really gained in sort of confidence and expertise. And you've done some amazing well, stuff over the last nice year. Well, that's nice of you to say. But I think <laughs> <laughs> Always encourage this. Now go and yeah. Yeah. reinforcement. <laughs> yeah. And what, and what are we having for lunch? But it's, <laughs> I'm not, I'm but not I think, Yeah, but the thing is, like, I, I, and actually we were talking before we started about the fact that now, you know, now normal work as for us as musicians is actually on the verge of resuming, fingers mm. crossed. And so suddenly we have lots of plans for gigs and festivals, which are really exciting. But actually it means like cooking elaborate meals is becoming less of a, th just have less time. Yeah. And actually that was one, a wonderful thing to have got to do for months. We just yeah. were kind of like, well, we've got time, you know, we don't have anything else to do. And so yeah. I could actually just indulge the time of going into that. And that, and that was really fun and then very experimental. So yeah, but also I think when try different stuff. Days stretching out in front of you where you feel a sort of hum of, I'm not really getting much done. Making yourself something nice to eat is a thing that you've achieved that day. It's a yeah. thing that didn't exist in the morning. That's, the, you know, a new thing by evening. And it's just a good feeling. I think it's good for the soul. It's comforting. Even when I was a kid, I used to cook for myself just because of that. And yeah. the result, when you have a really comforting meal, yeah, how much that. better do you feel after it? You Definitely. just feel, and we're the same, because we love food so much. It's the same deal. And you know, when you waste it, when you're hungry and you have something that's <laughs> oh, a bit, yeah. that's not that great. It wasn't what you really wanted. Or you wanted. Get, end up eating oh, yeah, like a, We'll sometimes get in stuck in like an hour of like going, what are we going to eat? Because yeah. we just don't want to waste that. And then you, <laughs> got to the, get this right. Or you accidentally end up getting like a refrigerated sandwich or something because you're hungry and then you eat it and you're like oh. or you eat yeah. bits of bottles while you're waiting <laughs> and you start getting full on snacking and then you're like no I remember when I eat Christmas dinner I'm always a bit cross when I feel myself getting getting full yeah. I'm like, like wait no, ignore it don't yeah. acknowledge the full keep going <laughs> you've got to have seconds <laughs> I've recently um, just tried to lay off like roast dinners and things, but actually, yeah, do you, me too. thinking yeah, about we as well. <laughs> I, no, I have. I know. I, I've got. A, I'm, I did Yorkshire a, pudding. I put on a fair few puddings during <laughs> lockdown, which I need to now remove before the shows start in the summer. So that's really annoying. Yeah. but it's kind of quite. I think it's happened to a lot of I people. I think we've all felt <laughs> it. But also, I guess it's quite nice to actually have people to cook for. Oh, That's yeah. what oh, yes. I really miss. Like a dinner party or actually, you know, if there, there's a clan of seven of you, you've got, you can really yeah, sit down and I know. indulge people. Although, no, I did. Because actually when your mum came over for Easter Sunday... Because yes. we hadn't had anyone over, even for Christmas, it was just us. And that's the well, first... we ate in the garden. We did. I'm just yeah. Oh, no, no, no. But I'm <laughs> saying even like, Christmas Day me. is the first time we've ever had Christmas Day without anyone other oh, than us. Oh, yeah, that was us. a bit sad, wasn't it? Um, and we cooked, I cooked the same amount. Yeah, so of course. There is only one amount. amount of food. <laughs> That's for um, like 20 people. Yeah, yeah, but then on Easter Sunday, it was we were allowed to have people in the garden. Mm. So your mum came over and that's when I did the lamb in the pizza oven. And it was so nice, that's wasn't it? Was it? Yeah. I really, we have really missed that. Yeah. 
because there is something really kind of heartening to feed people and to nourish people and have I don't know. I really have missed people just dining with people and spending time enjoying food. But just Definitely. like, you know, the process of it, there's something yeah. really lovely Although about just it. Just as a sort of slight caveat, <laughs> if you do cook for your children, you also get the feedback of the large group of people. Oh, yeah, it's that, not quite the same <laughs> as having friends it's, over it's where it's everybody can this is honest. so wonderful. Thank you so much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is, you know, kids going, you know, literally last night, Kit, the 12 year old, who's very, he adores his food, but he's also very clear about what works, what doesn't. And last night he said to me, What's for supper? And I said, I think there's chicken soup and some garlic bread. He went, That is the worst combination ever. <laughs> he just didn't refuse to eat it. And then, that's why you, I made him a toasty make- sandwich. But <laughs> see, this is the thing that's different about Richard and I is that I, I actually love cooking just as much as Richard does. But I, if I cook for the kids and they criticize my food, it's like they have, you know, given my love back. I just <laughs> I can't cope. Whereas Richard will be patient and go, tell me more. Like, what do you not like? Do you like any aspect of this? What mm. works? What doesn't work? And he'll try again to get it right. I'm like, I put myself in that <laughs> dish. How I could you? Yeah, but yeah. It is, and it just really gets but, me but down. That, that's the thing about <laughs> cooking for five different children is unlike, you know, with friends, they'll, they'll be polite even if, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes <laughs> you, you're, you know, an honest critic of yourself and sometimes you're like, I nailed it. That's great. Yeah. And then other times I'm like, it's not really quite as good as it could be. Yeah. But you know, your friends are going to be like, this is great. Yeah, Whatever yeah. happens. Kids are the op- opposite of that. <laughs> and the other thing is, is that they, they have all have different tastes. Yeah. So, yeah. so I'll make one thing and two of them will be like wolfing it down. And then one will just be like, there's no way I'm eating Which, that. Which by the way, we still count as a success. I think anything yeah. above one. When yeah. <laughs> You're working on averages. Yeah, really. yeah. But then when you get a meal and I'm, and everyone sat in silence, just You're eating. Like, oh, this is a try. And I'm like, wow. No, no, in fact, what on? is that meal? I can't remember. We did one the other day, didn't we, where I made something and I looked at you and I was like, we didn't want to break the there's spells. A, there's a few, anything. yeah, there's a few things. And I, they love um, the poke bowls and sushi and yeah, all that stuff. They that's Because I, I think I was saying to you before recording as well that I got into that, this habit of finding, basically what I read is that children have, literally have more taste buds than adults. So really? as you get older, your taste, a certain amount of taste buds just kind of die off. Right. So you know how kids don't like spice and they don't like the, f- you think that kids like bland food, but it's not so much that they like bland food. It's that, that the bland food tastes amazing to them yeah. because they're tasting even in like something that seems bland to us. Like higher definition. Yeah. So if you put all the extra spice on, it's just too much. Yeah. And so I got we needed in, to wake our taste buds up. Yeah, yeah, my taste buds are almost. So I've got black coffee and single malt whiskey and anything to cut through the, the three. God, it's a hard life. I've isn't got, it? I've just... got three taste buds left that I have to. But um, I got into this routine of cooking thing. If I'm cooking a curry, or we'd like we do a lot of Japanese food, or even pasta or anything, I'll do something really simple for the kids because that always works better. But then have a little side dish where I'll cook up a load of extra spices and, and other things and then just put a bit in there for Sophie and me so that we can have a meal that's that's exciting for yeah, us yeah. and not really bland. And that's been the, the winner. Yeah, that works yeah. really Because well. the, the middle ground is the worst. Yeah. Like if I put a bit of spice in, 
they won't eat it at all and it actually still tastes bland to me. <laughs> You're like, this is working for anyone. <laughs> no. Yeah. I remember growing up, there was, uh, I grew up, there were six of us children and one of the kind of popular meals would just be lots of different kind of, or like even if you did jacket potatoes or something like that, you'd have all the different toppings. So you'd, Yeah, that's lovely. And so you kind of, everyone just picks what they yeah. like. The buffet. We the have kind of children buffet that don't like baked potatoes. Yeah. How annoying is that? What? I know. One of our kids doesn't like roast potatoes. Yeah, he doesn't eat I potatoes. I have a friend that doesn't like roast I potatoes. Which I find that I'm like... I feel like it's pretentious and like, <laughs> even though he's a, how do they can like you, mash or do they, being I know he's not dog. really, but I'm just like, how can you not like a roast potato? Because it's like saying I don't like chocolate. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but then when I was a kid, I didn't like pizza and then I'd go to parties yeah, and that'd be the meal it. and everybody'd yeah. be like, I'd be like, I don't eat pizza. And they also thought but I was But you annoying. know, I don't buy that either. And you know that I don't. How annoying is that? <laughs> oh, that's you not know. washing with don't me. Don't come back yeah. into my childhood telling me what you believe <laughs> and you don't believe. You have to. So he doesn't like roast potatoes. Does he like mashed potatoes? Does he like no, chips? No, he only chips, likes yes. chips. Yeah. Crisps? Yeah. Yep. Crisps and chips. So it's not like a texture thing. Well, that's what I get confused by is because a really good roast potato isn't a million miles from a chip. Yeah. Is it? Like, what about if you did small roast potatoes? What if you fold it into that. like the tiny ones? I've done tried that. that. Yeah, I've tried like, doing it like making them. he doesn't mind sweet potatoes, does he? No, he doesn't like them. Oh. No. <laughs> so annoying because the others love it and the other one we always put on his plate and forget about it's cauliflower the roast cauliflower and we always put it on his plate he's like I don't like yeah because the other kids all love <laughs> I like that you that. can't keep on no, top of like the dietaries we've been doing it for like 18 months it was like yeah and it's the hard thing him. there is that you're kind of trying to make sure that they all have enough you know nutrient and so you don't want to do a meal where one kid just literally eats a tiny bit of chicken and nothing else yeah so then you, you kind of found quick ways around that yeah. so with him if we have because everyone else loves a roast yeah everyone. we just become vegetarian as well hasn't yeah it? which is complicated things but right. if he's having if we're doing a roast i just do him some like chicken wraps because yeah. then i know that he's getting enough yeah of what he should get yeah he's fine so there's a yeah another spanner in the works vegetarian <laughs> I, that's my life living with tom who's vegetarian oh, yeah. uh, i can help you yeah. <laughs> thank you we have to talk about this. You guys met when you were 22, 23. Mm -hmm. What brought you together? How did that start out? Um, Richard auditioned for my band, my live band. So we met in a rehearsal room. Um, and um, I don't know what possessed me, but the first thing I said to Richard was nice amp because he had, I don't know. What was your amp? I'll tell you from my perspective, <laughs> I was... I had brought an amp that wasn't even mine, actually. I borrowed it off a friend because I was I was trying to be, like, professional. Because, I, I, you know, I, I hadn't really done any professional session work. I'd just been playing in a, in the band with, with the guys and the feeling, but the feeling hadn't taken off yet. And so we'd yeah. been doing a bunch of covers gigs, and we'd been out in the Alps doing that, as you know, doing our apres ski season. And I got a call asking to audition for Sophie's band. And I was like, that well, what an opportunity. Amazing thing. So I borrowed this really nice amp from a friend. Yeah. And then so it was a nice amp. Uh, well, it was a nice amp, and it was yeah. <laughs> was and, it orange? Uh, no, it was it was an Ashdown amp, which has like blue uh. cones. Anyway, the thing <laughs> is, is that we there were, Sophie had to kind of have a look at a couple of different options of bass players within the band, and so I, I I stood there, played with the band, and then she's kind of sat the thing. And when when she was sat on the sofa, she was whispering to her friend or someone she's working <laughs> with, looking at me, and I think you realised. Well, the way I saw it was I thought you realised that I had seen that you were looking at me and talking. Mm. And so at the end, you felt like you had to explain <laughs> that. I was just saying you have a lovely And so you just for. went, yes, yeah, so you were like, oh, I was just saying it's a really nice amp. <laughs> so now Rich has got a sign, a neon sign in your studio that says nice amp. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you realize you were actually picking out your future husband in, <laughs> at that point um no i don't think we did really i mean we we always got on really well but um we were both in long-term relationships at the time um and so it was only after we'd known each other about a year and a bit i think that we started dating is that right yeah um trying to get the chronology right yeah about that year and a half i think yeah mm. yeah and then it all <laughs> happened very fast it did (laughs) and then sunny came yeah within like well it was like we found out we were having a baby after six weeks of dating and it was a bit comedic that is is actual speed dating i know people talk about speed dating that is um and we because we hadn't really told anybody we were dating because we didn't really want a lot of people being like oh you guys are dating now Hmm, what's that like we just thought we're being quite private weren't we and then obviously we found out there's a baby coming. So suddenly I had to like phone up loads of friends and be like, do you remember Richard, the uh, bass player? Yeah. Well, and we're going out. And they're like, oh, really? And? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think that's what it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're already having a baby. And then yeah. because Sonny was born prematurely, um, we'd only been dating for eight months when he was actually born. So it sort of doesn't quite. It's a math problem. Yeah, it doesn't. How long have you been going out? Eight sense. months. And you got a baby. Hang yeah. on. Is this your baby? Yeah. You know, was it was it questioned? <laughs> yeah, the maths doesn't quite add up. <laughs> yeah. But, um, it had, all felt but, quite yeah, right, didn't and it? And he had my face when he came. He de- definitely had your face. Yeah. Tiny version of your face. <laughs> oh. I was now I'm thinking about the baby with your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's enough to freak anyone out. <laughs> yeah. But I'm also thinking of like that is a very common thing, isn't it? Is it is it like nature nurture? It is so that yes. the dad hangs around, takes yes. care of the baby. You've actually yes. guessed it in one. There's a there's a a paternal um it's sort of a measured thing that often whether they're male or female, babies will be born with with features more of the father yeah. than the mother because obviously the mother knows it's theirs. Yeah. And the idea is that for nature reasons, the baby will want to be bonding with the father. Yeah. So if the father, if the baby looks more like the father when it's born, it's going to have that instant, they don't oh, it's have, definitely yours. Yeah. Don't doubt it, the paternity. Yeah, and you, you notice it, it often happens. <laughs> yeah. And then they kind of change, actually, yeah. quite yeah. quickly. Yeah, their faces morph all the time, don't they? Yeah. yeah. I've just yeah. seen it with my brother. He just had a little girl that also yeah. looked very much like him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's why it's a, it is a bonding thing. It kind of makes yeah. sense. Growing up for you both, did you grow up in musical households what took you in the direction of music well for me I was always had lots of music around me my dad was and is a massive music fan and he had a whole room at the top of the house that was just filled with vinyl so he'd bring me up there and play me record after record and talk about the story of it and the history of it and where the musicians lived and how they got together he's like a passionate music fan isn't he and uh and then he sort of tried to consolidate it all by taking me to my first gig, my second gig, which was both Pink Floyd. Um, How was when that? I was about, uh, mixed, if I'm honest. Um, I was about eight or nine when I went to my first concert. And um, I didn't mind some of the music. Some of the proggy stuff lost me a little bit, I think. Um, well, I think you were the, the average age of the audience was very... Yeah, and I was confused by it as well because some of the music, when it got quite rocky, everybody still sat down and just tapped their legs, their thighs <laughs> a little bit more intensely. And I just... I, that was probably for the better. Yeah, aged men maybe, but I just found it a bit confusing. But there's stuff to look at. It was a good light show. And uh, my dad is so like excited about it. Oh, he's like, wait, there's a bit in a moment where a light opens and it's as bright as the sun. Don't look at it. Because <laughs> it's all just like normal, normal lights. But he was just so excited. I think he just wanted to just transmit this energy to me. Um, but I think 
I really got, I mean, I had, so I had lots of musical stuff that coming in. My mum as well, she always sang around the place and played music all around the house and stuff in the car. So I got sort of music from both sides when I was growing up. But I think it was really Britpop that really showed me how much music meant to me, really. Right. Not not specifically just the actual music of it, but just fe- finding it so defining and feeling part of that club and I could just see that it had um, it resonated with me so much that it was like helping me to find my community and a way to express myself. Um, and it was for my generation. So I sort of, I could tell already that whilst a lot of my friends were into music, I knew for me it was on a really deep level. So, And when did you know that you could sing, that you had an amazing voice? Oh, that's that's kind. I, I, I used to like singing along to stuff, but it didn't, it really didn't occur to me at all. I'd never had any singing lessons or anything like that. And when I was teenager I thought maybe I'd be a writer or maybe an actor I was sort of toying with a few things and then when I was 16 I started going clubbing and I was out one time and a guy came up to me saying oh I work for Melody Maker which immediately impressed me because I used to buy that every week and he said oh and I've got a friend who's looking for a singer in a band and I was like oh that's something I should probably tell my kids I did once so I went along to this club and like the next night took along a demo tape of me singing some stuff and that guy said, That's oh. quite brave. Like, you must know that you can sing a bit to be able, like, if someone said that to me, I'd be like, You absolutely don't want to hear you me know sing. What? Not, not sounding like overly uh, disconnected, but I think I just thought, Oh, that's a sort of rite of passage thing people do. They're right. in a band at some point. And I just, my one of my good friends, Alison, was you going. You've done at, a bit of musical theatre at school. And I used to sing at school, but it, I remember feeling like, Oh, that's a, th- that's a thing I'll tell my grandkids one day. Like, Oh, I was in a band. I just thought it was a thing you had, it was like a thing you had to do. Like everybody was in a band at some point. But it was really when I started performing. So that's when I was 16. All, I was a band called The Audience. And as soon as I got on stage and sang, I was like, oh, this, it, it was quite an immediate feeling like this is what I've been looking for. This is where all the dots joined. And yeah. I just felt like I'd really found the thing that made sense to me. And I sort of stopped looking at anything else. And that band, and we ended up getting a record deal. Um, and I did that till I was 20. And then we got dropped and it was quite horrible. But actually, I knew that that was, I'd already, you know, the, the fate had already sort of spoken and that that was what I was going to end up trying to do for the rest of my life, really, music. And is the house here, do you, is it quite a musical house? Have any of the kids like shown an interest in music? Well, as I speak to you, you are framed by a piano and a <laughs> yeah, double bass. Like, <laughs> I mean, is there any signs of music in here? Just anything at all? And then um, the record player behind you. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, yeah kitchen disco yeah we just love having music around the place and um I I don't I've never really minded too much if the kids can play instruments I just want them to help I want music to be that companion throughout their life because I think yeah we we kind of find to be careful about it because we Hmm. both of us got obsessed with it at different times and then I think with art and music it's a fine line you want to give them that opportunity and with anything but you want to kind of don't you know in my opinion sort of push them too hard to the, so that it becomes something they actually have a negative association with yeah so it's just like with all of them we go let's try a bit of piano let's try a bit of guitar and actually you know for Sonny he did a little bit and it wasn't really for him and he's got much more interested in design and fashion and other things but that's what's getting him excited yeah but music so, is his friend I mean he listens yeah, no, to music he's mass- all the time yeah exactly but as it gives but, him a place for his emotions doesn't it yeah but he's not as a uh creator I don't no, think but I don't think that's really that's not really the the point of why we why we do it we sort of took it to that next stage but I think the root of it and in a way what this last year has reminded me is that 
music is actually just part of what makes me tick. It's yeah. what, it's a tonic. It's a a catharsis. It's an escape. It's sort of everything that I I, I find it. So I'm just so grateful that it has that effect on me. And I think you had a similar upbringing, didn't you, with your parents being your dad playing lots of music around the house? Well, yeah. yeah I mean, but more fittingly, actually, because because no one in my family was a musician, but my dad was a chef. Right. So okay. I grew up with a chef uh, for a father. Delicious. Who, yeah, well, <laughs> actually, cook a lot actually, no, because he didn't. It's the last thing he wanted to do was cook at home because he he started chefing when he was fifteen, like you know, didn't straight out of school, right. um, which was a thing that you know people did back then in the sixties. Uh, they didn't necessarily finish school; he just mm. kind of went. He went straight to work and did an apprenticeship at the Cafe Royal and and worked there in Piccadilly for many right. years. And then when I was young, he worked in a lo the local golf hotel in Forest Row in the village where I grew up. And so I've got lots of childhood memories of going into work with him and and like chop chopping things up and helping with the washing up and delivering pies down to the pub mm -hmm. bit and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but at home, my mum always cooked because it was the last thing he wanted yeah. to do. Uh, but he, yeah, he he was a big fan of all the kind of staples like the Beatles and the Stones and Motown records. And I just kind of consumed all of that as a child, but with no, we didn't have instruments in the house or any of that kind of thing. So yeah. I just kind of had sort of came to it completely myself. Because you, so you went to Brit school, but what took, what was there a point when you were like, okay, this is the direction yeah, I want to Yeah, it was take. when I was, when, so when I was a teenager, um, uh, I had a couple of friends who played guitar and I just, and I got really into music, into sort of, you know, indie and grunge and all that stuff in the 90s. And uh, and I thought I had this feeling like, well, they've been playing since they were kids. Maybe it's too late, which is ridiculous. But I was like 13, 14. But, you know, I, my mum actually found a teacher that was amazing. And he was this teacher that was like not so concerned about the dots on the stave and the classical stuff. He was just a very inspiring musician who just was like what what do you like tell me what music you like and and then he just taught me to play that so yeah. he went just like well it's look most of the songs you like are made up of three or four chords and here they are <laughs> and then suddenly i was like this is amazing yeah. and i'm that, sold i'm like this, this is yeah, amazing yeah because mm -hmm. uh, before There's like, hope for me well when you start with the <laughs> notes and you take about three weeks to try and play twinkle twinkle little star and it sounds <laughs> awful it just was that really put me off that sort of style of teaching it works for some people but not for me um and then I was just obsessed with it and then it was actually my mum was um she was a hairdresser and she was cutting uh all the sort of old ladies hair in the village and one of them had a granddaughter at the Brit school and so she was just talking about me getting into music and all the rest of it and and through her found a prospectus and then I applied and amazingly got in um and that's yeah, and then that's on, on my first day I met Dan from The Feeling and yeah. we started working together and it all kind of went from there, really. It's crazy how kind of fortuitous life can be and how to just fo like follow your own instincts and let, yeah. I don't know, let it happen in a way. Mm. Yeah, well, we all have those moments, like those sort of sliding doors moments, right? Yeah. Where like Sophie was saying, what if she hadn't gone out clubbing that night? I when she always have gone out clubbing. Though. Yeah, <laughs> but very I'm unlikely. Sixteen-year-old me. But what I if you hadn't bumped into the guy that said, <laughs> I know, I know, "I've I'm got a friend 
who <laughs> who is looking for a singer. What if that didn't happen? And then you never join the audience. You may have never become a singer. Definitely, yeah. This is one night out. Very, very possible. Yeah. Very possible. I think I would have been a bit aimless. Well, I, I did have, I applied to uni, but I didn't end I up going. I think you would have done something else. I would have gone to uni and found something else. Yeah, I would have done <laughs> Aimless, just wandering around. <laughs> just going, I really don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm always curious, how do you go about getting and securing a record deal? So you've joined this band, you've started mm. playing gigs. And is it always kind of the aim is to get that record deal, I presume, because that's how you can sustain a living being um, in a band? Or Well, there's sort of a few layers to that, really. I mean, I, I was like 16, 17 when that was all happening. So to be honest with you, I didn't, I, it was not something I was thinking about at all. I I was passionate about music by then, reading anything and everything that came out, you know, Enemy, Melody Maker every week, all my walls covered in bands, like obsessed listening to the radio, all of that stuff. But I think the record deal thing was something that the momentum of that came from this guy, Billy. So everybody else that was in the band was older than me. And right. Billy, the guy that wrote the songs and had sort of brought us all together for this project where he'd already got the songs already. Um, he was already by then, I think, 30. Right. And okay. he'd worked in a small independent record company. So he had a real plan. Right. And I just was like, you know, okay, what are we doing then? And so I joined when he already had a, a shape of how the project, he wanted the project to work. Um so for him, it was all about getting the deal. Yeah. But actually, if I ever meet anybody who's young and interested in getting music, you know, getting involved in music, I always say the same thing, which is, you know, don't regard the deal as the holy grail because when the timing's right, that'll come. But actually, mm. when you've got the record deal, that's when you have this whole committee and the label and all yeah. these other people with an idea of what you should be doing and how yeah. to do it. And actually, that bit where you're just honing it is actually really really precious and making mistakes and trying things out and being really quite experimental and just going on the instinct of the solo artist or the band and we we didn't really have that and I actually think that's possibly why the band split up so quickly and Billy you know I look back it's actually com comedic almost the timeline but he left our band before the album came out because he used to compare it to he said it's he, he it was like having a party next door and you spend all this time banging on the wall going get this turn the noise down and then suddenly you get invited to the party and that's how he felt about getting the record deal that he was always moaning and groaning about the music industry and how it all worked and then suddenly it was like well come on in and we were signed to mercury and you know part of part of universal it was all very glitzy but i think it wasn't actually very good for him because he couldn't cope with suddenly being on the inside of all that. It was almost too fast. We did six gigs and with every gig, we got another company giving us a record deal offer. So by the time we had done six gigs, we had six offers on the table and we used my 18th birthday as the night when we would announce on stage which label we were going with because for him, that was a good marker. But it was all kind of happening over my head. I was still at school doing my A-levels. That all sounds so bonkers, like so quick. It was quick. quite bonkers. It was quick, yeah. but it was also just... It had its own steam and it, no, don't get me wrong. It was incredibly yeah. exciting, but I guess I had also like nothing much to lose. It was like, woo, okay. My friends are all going after uni. I'm going to sign a record deal and go off on the enemy Brat Bus tour and support bands and exciting. But I, when I look back with a bit more knowledge, I think, oh, you know, just for the others in the band, maybe a little bit of time actually feeling like a real band and working on what our what we wanted it's really it. that's a really unusual trajectory yeah. as well yeah. to go from having never you'd basically never really done a gig with a band no my and first then, gig was terrifying because there's suddenly all these people and scouts and all that she got offered a record deal on her first ever gig with a band can you yeah, imagine that's that crazy. but it was also it was exciting but it was also just 
Did that I give you know. the confidence? Because then the record like you would drop quite quickly after the yeah, album it was came out. Yeah, it was I think that it, bit it, it took record... you quite a while to to find your confidence as a performer after that. It, it really did. I mean, but it was a quick succession that then your solo career kind of took off and went on this was, trajectory. But I had a lot of, um, well, there's a few sort of, a few things, but like pros and cons really. Because on the one hand, when Groove Jet came, so I got dropped in, at the end of when I was like 19, um, 20, and then Groovejet came along, actually, as it turned out, not that much later, maybe like... Um, 2001? Yeah, so like, uh, well, 2000, <laughs> yeah, but like eight, so like eight right, months right. later, I found myself doing this dance track but then when that that song completely took off um 20 years ago i read this year that's crazy yeah um well it'll be 21 in august yeah is it 21 yeah because it came out in 2000 so uh it's always really easy for me to really groove jet's birthday working out my math uh, don't worry (laughs) um but it it, when it went all like do lally with that that song i i'd just come off the back of a really big failure with my band so i think i had a real grounding of you know don't keep your eyes wide open and your feet on the floor and just take it all in and enjoy the highs. But I always had a real awareness of what it felt like to all go away and ditto when I signed my record deal for my solo stuff. Um, but yeah, Richard's right. I did have a, it took me a long time to feel good and confident about how I performed. And, you know, when I did my first solo gig, I had, I was, we did this one-off show and um, I didn't realize I was being reviewed right. and the reviews were savage I mean like they are horrendous so I was like 21 a, a new priority signing for Universal and I just felt like I'd been thrown to the lions I mean one review said something like the audience clapped to stop themselves from falling asleep I mean it was literally just like, <laughs> um they did also say that uh, was it that murder on the dance floor was yeah, they were like, I got called a one-hit wonder loads around there. Yeah. Loads. But but they picked that one out as not being a very good song. Yeah. Oh, well, they obviously <laughs> really know their, yeah. their stuff. Yeah, but, you know, so it took a while. But but I think actually Richard and uh, when we toured together, it was it was beneficial, um, not just in, of course, the fact that we ended up falling for each other, but, but actually the fact that Richard and the rest of the band were all my age. And so right. suddenly I felt like my age again and we were actually having fun and yeah. hanging out. And, like Richard and I bought roller skates just so that we could skate around the empty venues, before, you know, sound check and just be silly. Because yeah. up until then, yeah, <laughs> up until then it had all been generally older blokes telling me what the plan was and how it was all going to pan out and right. whether I was good or not. At what I was doing and actually this was just it was just nice to just have fun and take the pressure off and just do the gigs and get better and yeah it was it, it was good on, on lots of levels all of that time I look back on it quite fondly actually how because that kind of success continued how like I guess how was it for you because you were still yeah, well, you were still gigging a lot with the yeah, feeling so but it hadn't kind of happened no to you exactly yet. and so I, I guess with me it was almost like the opposite story were you furious in the, no <laughs> no because I think no, we both have highs and lows I think we? there are, and I both think there were real lessons to be learned in both really you know in that Sophie had I think because she had such a sort of like um, immediate like ethereal beauty and talent I can totally understand why at her first gig a record company exec went sign that girl immediately yeah. there's something there even though she'd never done a gig. But for, for most people, and for, certainly for Dan and me and the band, we we had, we had didn't get signed until we were 26. And yeah. we started when we were 60, look, 10 years, basically. Yeah. And we got turned down so many times. Like on one, the first band we did, um, we had a different lead singer and the- What was the band called? 
uh, we were called Horn. It's the, it's such a bad name. <laughs> it was actually named after Round the Horn. You know, the like Peter Cook, Dudley Moore. Anyway, no, it no, didn't. Exactly. It was sort of lost I'm on. Too young. <laughs> lost on people. Anyway, not a good name. Horn, come on. You might it probably didn't help. Anyway, the. <laughs> Sony offered our singer a deal, but not us. And so she left and then we were kind of stuck without That's rude. having worked together for like, I think from three years or so. And things were really starting to get going. And then so she left and which turned out to be, you know, a good thing in the yeah. long run. So then we were sort of back to the drawing board. And that's actually when we went out to the French Alps. Because um, uh, Paul, his drummer in the band, saw an ad in the NME saying wanted band for ski season, uh, play gigs, free lift pass, free accommodation, free food, all the rest of it. And we went out and did that. And at that point, that was when I, I, you know, I said to Dan, you know, you should be the front person. And he was like, I don't, I'm not really sure about that. What did he do in the band before that? He's, he was always uh, writing songs, but he was uh, playing guitar and backing oh, okay. vocals. And he was a bit unsure about it, but that. then as as soon as we he got on stage, it was it was one of those like, oh, I'm not, I couldn't possibly. And then it's like Freddie Mercury walks on stage. <laughs> well, <laughs> not me, not no, me. No, 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 this is not my thing. No, no. He Dan was, is quite calm and quiet kind of until he does. Yeah. You can totally see that. Yeah, point you've seen him like, actually, he's brilliant at it. Yeah. And it's completely natural yeah. to him. But the, but even then, you know, we we did did a full season, uh, and and then and then and then there was a process where Dan started writing more songs for his own voice, which took a bit of time, and we, we weren't really sure what we were doing with that. And then, but Dan also the style was very it was like super pop, but his style of singing is also quite unique as well. I don't yeah, well yeah, and and he and and at that point when we were kind of I guess in our we we're about nineteen twenty. He, he was um, finding that voice as a writer and as a singer. And when we came back from the Alps, it was actually wasn't that long after that that I got the call to audition for Sophie's band. So, right. then, so then I went off uh, and did that pretty much for a year. But then, you know, we'd still be doing gigs here and there with Dan, covers mm. gigs and various things. And it was actually when I, when I got back from the last tour that we did together, just before we actually started seeing each other, um, I was, I'd moved in with Dan. I was living with him, and I you can say Sophie then. I was like, yeah, you only moved in two weeks before our baby was born. Yeah, so no, we weren't, li- we weren't living. Sophie and me <laughs> weren't living together. I didn't want to rush into yet. that. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> but I, I know it's, it looks. It actually kind of was that. I love it. Bizarrely. But it is there's a, like a whole chain of <laughs> cause and effect that's really closely linked, and it's because of Sophie and me getting together that I separated from my girlfriend and then moved into Dan's place. Yeah. So if Sophie and me weren't getting together, I probably wouldn't necessarily have done that. Yeah. And it was when I'd just moved in, that he first played me Sewn, which is a song that he'd written that became our first hit. And I, when he played it to me, I just immediately was like, this is, you've cracked it. This is brilliant. This yeah. is a brilliant song. And do you know when you hear something, is it like the penny's dropped? You're like, this is, this that, is our, That song was, it. I didn't know what that meant because we didn't have any, we hadn't even started the band. All I knew is that, he's written a brilliant song yeah. and I was really inspired and really driven and then sort of took the kind of reins of going, we need to record this. We need to do this. And then, you know, organizing it, getting the band together. I can together. see you have the drive. You're, I can see you kind of within the band and Dan is, I mean, he obviously works super hard and I've seen it. Yeah, we yeah, lived above the, the studio. And the talent. But that but was, that's always the... been our, yeah, our, 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 our dynamic together working has yeah. always kind of been that way. And, and, once he played me that song, we then went and recorded 
that and another film my little world which became another one of our hits and a couple of others but then we were just on a roll and we started writing we wrote love when you call together and we did wrote rosé out of the jam when we were one of our favorites yeah when we were literally drunk on cheap (laughs) rosé and and it all just kind of came together and then then i felt like i know i felt really confident i was like this is it. This is the band. These are the songs. This is the mm. band that, of all the bands I've ever done. This one has something along with the fact that by then we were almost in our mid twenties. And I felt a bit like, well, if we don't really go for it now, yeah. it's not going to happen. But even then from having all of those songs, we went all, we got a manager, we went around the business, we got turned down by everyone, every label with exactly the songs that we released twice. They'd be like, <laughs> what? Because we got a lot of interest because the songs were strong, but I think a lot of them couldn't quite get their head around where it would fit because they were like, at the time, they were like, well, you've got kind of, you know, in in, in the noughties, Indian bands were becoming pop. Yeah. You said Indian bands. Indian. <laughs> indie Specifically and Indian bands. bands. <laughs> uh, so, you know, from when the Strokes came out in 2001, suddenly by 2003, you've the charts were made up of like Ray's Light and the Kooks and Keen and it was it was bands. Yeah. Or it was real like R&B pop, Britney and people like Sophie. So they were like, well, you're not, as the feeling, we were kind of fit into the indie band thing, but our songs were much more pop than yeah. that. And so they were kind of, a lot of them didn't get how to market it. But eventually a label just went, well, actually, maybe that's a good thing because- and, and That's then, a niche. Yeah. And, and obviously it, it happened and then yeah. the-, the the album did really well and kind of launched our career. But I have some stats here, which when I was when I was looking <laughs> at this, the feelings big year was two thousand six, which Dan would always say that was our biggest year. We were like the most played yeah. um, band on radio. Um, <laughs> so it's good when the front man ventures uh, yeah. yeah. his stats himself. Yeah. I was about, I didn't get well, I was about to mention it. it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, two thousand six. Well, you'll be my vintage year. Most played band. Um, but it was uh, 97,436 plays, which meant that on average, the song, um, a song by The Feeling was played 260 times a day yeah. uh, or once every five minutes. It was mad. I remember that year because it, it really was that way. Yeah, is well, that just in our house or is that? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was kind of what happened. Richard, take your album off, the whole, the whole reason I was saying that we kind of, you know, a lot of labels were not sure where to pigeonhole us ended up being a positive thing at that point because we ended up being played on Six Music and XFM, but we were also played on Capital because we were kind of pop enough for Capital, yeah. but it, just about indie enough for XFM. It was so catchy. So we were kind of everywhere. Some of your so- I think you, both of you actually, have those songs where you... You know, I've got friends that's like that really defined our summer. Like you hear those, you, you hear those singles again, and you're like, that takes me back to that specific. If you hear summer. every six minutes. That's gonna yeah, happen. Yeah, I know. You, couldn't, you literally, <laughs> it's ingrained. You Why literally, is it so associated with 2006. You couldn't yeah. avoid it. But we get, we actually get that a lot nowadays from kids who were maybe five or six or seven at the time. Yeah. Who really remember our songs from being on like road trips with their family and yeah. things things like yeah. that. Yeah, the families actually say that as well, don't they? It's yeah. like, oh, that was when the kids were little or whatever. It's like a real family yeah, thing. It's, a, it's, it's nice. a lovely thing to have. Really but our, yeah, our journey into getting signed was just a massively hard slog. Yeah. That Do you feel like you really earned it? And did you, was there ever a point where you thought, do you know what, we're, this, maybe this isn't going to happen. Do we just Loads leave of it? times. Yeah. Loads of times. And actually... The time when it did happen uh, was when we'd we'd basically run out of options because we we were going we'd had this manager and he'd he'd kind of presented us to all these labels and they'd all turned us down and we did this disastrous gig 
where loads of people came and it was just not a good gig and they how does it how does it go wrong it was that one was technical so we we got a friend to do sound and thinking that would help but actually he was sort of more of a jazz classical sound man so he turned he, he just had the volume <laughs> down really low so we were playing and it just sounded no, he, really you just looked like you were mouthing really pony like <laughs> you know there was no power to the sound and so the um the labels that saw us were like nah this isn't going to work so we were then on our way we decided to go back out to the alps for just a, just two or three weeks just for a little bit of you know, and a little bit of cash and do a bit of skiing, have a bit of fun. And, but, you know, we were going to go rather than a covers band, go as the feeling. Cause we we're like, well, let's just go out there and just be like, this is us now. And these are our songs. Yeah. And when we were driving out there, the manager that had been looking after us literally dropped us. So we were on the phone and he, he said like, I can't see this happening for you guys. I've tried everything. And he offered us like a pony amount of money saying, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you this for your publishing. And then maybe you can use that to make the album and it wouldn't have worked. And also we were like, we were smart enough and old enough to know that that's just him going, well, I'll get their songs for a bit of, for next to nothing. Right. And then... But we, um, so we turned that down, went to the Alps with and nothing. did you get rid of him? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, no, we said no. And then we got to the Alps at this point, we've got no manager. We've been turned down by every label twice. And we're kind of like, that was the point, as just like <laughs> you're asking, where point. I was like, this is, what, what else can we do? But what it did actually was it meant we actually kind of let go of any um, holding back. Yeah. So rather than going, we might as well give up. We went out into those gigs and actually were much more like, you know what? We've got nothing else to lose. Yeah. There's no point in, we have to, we have to be this band or it's not going to happen. And that would be my advice to anyone who wants to do anything is in, in music is that it'll only work when you completely believe in yourself mm. and you, to a fault. And it's complete, you know, delusion to a degree because no <laughs> one knows really what's going to work or not. But, but we then did two weeks worth of gigging where we were just like, sod it, let's just play our songs. And actually the audience were reacting and we started selling our demo CDs and then we were playing Love It When You Call in the pub. And the, when you came out there into, yeah. into Maribel that a few years later. That was very fun. It's a great fun trip. I think uh, I split a Spanx dress on that. Trip. I don't even know how you would do sure that. But I really obviously had a great time. Yeah, so oh, we had so much fun, but we um that that last trip then we we kind of were the audiences were reacting to the songs and we were like we are good. These are see we're, mm. we're not wrong. We're not mad. People are, have only heard these songs today and they're going for it. So then we got back and I and out of the blue this manager called me saying I heard you don't have a manager, um, a guy called Adrian Jolly, and I, I'm really interested in talking <laughs> to you. So we met with him and we did another, and then he was like, look, you know, forget about all that. Your songs are great. I want to work with you. Let's do another gig. And we were like, well, we're ready now. So we did a gig and then we we had four record deal offers off the next gig within like, this was like five weeks. Something must that. have just shifted. Yeah. Like energy, everything had just aligned. And then when you got the Ivor Novello Award, mm. That must have been like, okay, you can all, all the, everyone that turned us down, everyone that oh, said no, that yeah, must have there's felt a lot good. of satisfying moments. There was a guy that actually, going back to the radio play thing, yeah. there was a guy in a meeting during the period of us being turned down by everyone. I mean, one guy told us that Sone, which became our biggest hit, didn't have a chorus, which was one of those, you need to write a chorus for that song. And we were like, I don't think we do. But imagine, but if we had, it would have 
not been as good. It would have changed it. And then another guy said on the radio play thing said, um, you'll name the feeling. It's just terrible. And, you know, and I, I got I got his point of what he was saying was, you know, it's all about the the name and the aesthetic and stuff is is like the like presentation with mm. food right it starts with the way the food looks yeah and if it looks weird you're already projecting something before you taste it, yeah. even if it tastes great so we're kind of saying that it was saying like problem with the feeling is it's not very you know i don't the name's terrible and he actually said with a name like the feeling you will never get played on british radio that's that was what he oh, said. Yeah, it's got to feel and, so good. And again, we ignored it. And then when we had that year, there was nothing more sad because he yeah. couldn't have been more wrong. Yeah, not just a little bit wrong. He must have had earplugs in the whole of two thousand six. Yeah, like, wow. like, this year or, is tormenting me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> horrible year for every him. Every five minutes, he's no. like, and here's the feeling. With, <laughs> ah! <laughs> six music. Yeah. <laughs> he's just being like sacked and like, yeah. demoted. <laughs> for you both, how have you celebrated the numerous kind of top tens album like? you know all these incredible successes have you done anything extravagant to celebrate any real diva moments you know crazy riders or puppies you know i'm probably more of a diva I'm, than I know, you I was say, I'm not really much of sophie's a... amazingly like just more concerned about everyone else being happy whereas when so i mean dan is a massive diva as you know back in his day he's is fine he? now oh. but but oh, he, go on. But, I, oh, don't, no. I don't think that I think that Dan is the deep. Oh, no, he, he would be completely open about it. He's, he's fine now. I think that <laughs> there, there's a, I worked as a talent booker, so maybe I was just so used to it, like everyone <laughs> yeah, being yeah. like, I need this, oh, I need true. that. That's true. And comparatively, like, compared to some people, yeah. it's not a big deal. So you but, probably got some good stories then. Not necessarily about like naming people, but are some people really tricksy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. I guess people just I kind have of love that though, don't you? I I'm think quite glad that exists. Some there is there is something about if someone having the gall to be so demanding exactly. that you kind of you you then buy into their celebrity even exactly. more. You're like, oh well okay, okay. Yeah, I love the Mariah stories and some The puppies so, was yeah, Mariah. That's yeah. just amazing. MTV days. She's like, I need puppies. I need everyone was like running around like, I know, like yeah, puppies, puppies that aren't hers. Yeah, and they she were just her needs puppies. To have she needed some puppies. Yeah, on set. I Mariah, here are the puppies. Well, and she's like, it's or the they wrong, already don't look at me in the eye. Well, she'd be like, it's the wrong coloured puppy yeah. or the wrong size. Quite possibly, quite possibly. There's too many. Take two away. But I get like, you know, when there's when there's pressure, especially if you're the front person or solo artist, there's so much light on you that you're, for your kind of like, anything can potentially throw you off balance, yeah. right? And so I get that for some people. I think initially. They, Certainly. Yeah, maybe you're. I would say that you're not someone that's like that. But for, like, I understand why, for a lot of people in that position, they feel very like if yeah, one thing that. this could all unravel. Yeah. You know, if I don't have all the right things around There's me, a lot yeah. of pressure. So to, much pressure. Yeah. And do you have a ritual then before you go on stage, or do, how do you kind of get yourself into the zone? Um, you know what? I honestly think the older I've got and the more kids and what interruptions are happening <laughs> in the daily life, the better I've got at just being able to. I could turn up, you know. If I said if perform I, now, you could just be like, yeah, fine. Yeah, so do. I just yeah. don't. That's I think amazing. I have. You used to. That's something that's. But, yeah, that's 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 learned, learned, isn't yeah. It? When I was younger, I think I needed to have just quiet, my own room, no one talking to me. I, I couldn't spend time with lots of bustle. And like yeah. the feelings dressing room always had so many people in it. I'd be yeah. like, this doesn't this drive you mad? And I couldn't have done that. I needed to have, I always do my own makeup before and hair and all that before gigs. So I needed that space. Do you don't have anyone coming to you? No, I don't like it actually. I don't want that extra thing. I, I want to just do it myself and have that space and that quiet and that, that headspace just to sort of give me a transition. But 
now that I've, you know, the last couple of um, babies I've had just very soon after I've done albums or, you know, I think the last baby was due on the same day as an album was coming out. And I think in the end, the album went back a couple of weeks or the baby, the one, something <laughs> moved, something, moved, something gave. <laughs> but, but what I'm trying to say is, is all, I've just got so used to the fact that the two things intertwine quite often, like with the last couple, especially I'd go and do a gig and I'd have like a two month old baby or three month old baby. And I'd put them on the floor next to the rollers and just get ready. And I think that just made me much more relaxed. And actually that, that came to be something comforting. I've actually really enjoyed that. And yeah. I like the fact that I don't feel like I need a big shift and I've got much more like myself on stage as well. But when I was younger, oh my God, no, the opposite. My first few gigs, I couldn't chat, I couldn't dance. I would make stupid jokes in between, if there was a quiet bit in between songs, really awkward. You still do the stupid jokes. I do still do the stupid <laughs> jokes. But I also waffle a lot. I chat a lot more, I'm much more and I dance around. I've just... But I, it just comes with losing your ambitions. I, think, I just yeah. don't care. But I think it, it's like um, it's. it's the I do really believe in the in the ten thousand hours thing. I think that there's a lot, and and you know, going back to the, the way that Sophie's career started, because you were just thrown in there without much experience, you had to learn on the job. Very much. Whereas so. I, I thought it was great when Ed Sheeran went on Jonathan Ross and he played a little recording of when he was fifth. I don't know if you saw that. No. He played a recording demo of when he was 15 and he was singing completely out of tune and playing really badly. And he just made the point that, that it's, that, you know, talent is mainly earned. It's mainly, he did something like 300 gigs in a year before he was even known. Wow. Because then it's in the doing it that you get more relaxed. Because and confidence. yeah, and with the feeling we've had every possible thing go wrong I was at say, a the gig. Things going wrong as well. Like a big the, thing. Every that's I've broken. Had going this wrong. is he. I fell over one. This the mic wasn't there. There's, there's endless stuff go yeah. wrong. So that the more that happens when you eventually go out, nothing nothing phases you so after a while of it anymore. Yeah, because yeah, you kind of go, true. well, I, I that happened and it was actually all right, and you yeah. kind of learn also true. how to kind of kind of work, deal with all those situations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah, that, that, that's definitely a truth, I think. I'm always curious as well how um, performers come down from the highs of being on stage. Like I've, through work and through friends and stuff, like I've been really fortunate to be like side of stage and just to experience, I mean, obviously none of that is coming back at me, but to see what does, you're though, faced you with, see, like you thousands see that, of people, also, it's when, the most... How do you come down? You get that? that if you've been side of stage or at festival, or whatever. You see the energy you get from the audience, don't you? You it's, feel it it's crazy, when you're yeah. like looking at this crowd of people, and they're just it's and it. But it, it's again, it's like anything that you do it enough that it becomes something that you you kind of like I was saying, have really missed it because it's something that you 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 absorb it mm. and then you kind of take it and then you just. I just find it feel I generally feel really great and relieved, and, especially and when it's a gig you care about. Yeah. yeah, London shows are always like that for us, aren't they? Because that's when our friends and family are there, and or the first night of a tour or anything like that, you get a real rush of just like it happened, it went well, enjoyed it, and I think I think it's a real privilege actually to go through that thing of the the slight you know that doesn't just because I feel relaxed on stage doesn't mean I don't get nervous. It's just that it's a sort of helpful adrenaline if that makes sense so when yeah. you come the other side of it and it's all gone well you just feel really satisfied and part of a team project there's so many people involved in every gig so you never I never feel like it's just just mine to own it's shared with the whole touring family it's it's lovely isn't it yeah and you do I mean in, when you're younger you do make the mistake of often partying in that a mess. That's not a mistake. Because you, no, 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 actually it's not <laughs> that's a mistake. Just, that's just carrying on the vibe of the yeah, night. It is if you're the singer sometimes and you lose your voice for the rest of the tour. Yeah. <laughs> 
and that's I'm not... presuming that's happened. Oh, my first band, definitely. I was such an really? idiot. Yeah, but you kind of like, you can get carried away. And also everywhere, every town you go to, there's always a friend who's, and it's their night out. Whereas you're yeah. like, well, I was out last night doing this, doing a gig. So you kind of learn, uh, you know, to sort of pick your moments for the party. Limitations. And then also otherwise just kind of like, you know, re- re- you know, keeping things within a kind of reason. Mm. You know, the occasional blowout. Yeah. yeah, that's good. I have to quickly ask you, you have learned to fly. Did Sophie, did you buy it for Richard as yeah. a birthday gift? Yeah, because he got worryingly into golf in his 20s. <laughs> like, I am not I'm going. That the that's what literally it said, in, it said in the card, birthday <laughs> card. It's something like, it was something like, if you're going to bugger off and do some hobby for hours, at least make it a sexy one. Here's some yeah. flying lessons. Um, did you did you want to be a pilot? Yeah, so yeah, before okay, I... It wasn't just like No, it wasn't. Go. No, it would have been. I mean, actually, cool present for anyone, I think. Yeah. You know? But I um, before I got into music as a child, I, I wanted to be a pilot. I'd got the full like Top Gun thing in my yeah. head, where mm-hmm. it's just like, I want to be... In my mind, you're moving to the country. You're getting like the two runways that John Travolta's got. You're going to learn to fly the Boeing 737. That would work for me. Would you do it? Sophie would never leave London, though. She's made it very clear. Oh, yeah, I won't live anywhere else. I I, I have, yeah. I mean, there's there's airfields all over the countryside. And I often think, God, imagine if I lived like just down the road and I could just pop there. But it's never going to happen. When I bumped into you a while back and you was like, oh, yeah, like I took Sophie out. Maybe it was for your birthday Mm. and you took her out on a plane mm. and yeah. wait is that something that you do frequently yeah well, i mean in the, in the last year it's been really frustrating because um yeah, you've missed the, it, because G- general aviation rules have meant that well it's the same as driving somewhere right, they're right. just like everything's shut so i haven't been able to go anywhere and i'm not really that bothered about flying in circles and landing which is the only on my own which is yeah. the only thing that was allowed and so you can you can go up on your that's I you know like i've had a license for about 10 years is it 10 now. years mm. oh god i'm so late to the party i thought this was a relatively but maybe because i've just not seen you for i know and also 10 years feels like it's gone by in about <laughs> yeah. five seconds but yeah so so yeah no so I, we use it uh i've in the summer whenever i can if it's going to a gig or an event that is near an airfield i'll always have a look because if we can make that work. And then sometimes we just fly over to the 2K in northern France and have lunch and go to the beach and fly back. Yeah, we've done that a few times, haven't we? Yeah. That's quite a... It's better than golf, isn't it? That is. You really (laughs) set that up. (laughs) I also stopped in being vegetarian when we first started going out. Yeah, talking of... (laughs) Really? Yeah, have you not tried that? at home oh yeah i've tried that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just the entire time well yeah i was a pescatarian i knew he was, was for <laughs> probably like 10 years and but then obviously when i was you know dating sophie i was like this woman is absolutely incredible and then she was she could have talked me into anything i think pretty much but <laughs> she, she Who, hang on who's the boss in the house now is it still are you still in awe of your yeah, of super course. special wife? We, we work together and everything, don't we? We feel we do actually feel quite similarly on. Well, I stuff, think we? I think you touched on it before we started recording. We said because there's there's a dynamic between us that works really well, and I think it's very similar to our personality types and mm-hmm. and what we do on stage. As in, I'm a bass player. And I love that role and I fit that role. I'm a supporting musician. It's like yeah. being a defender on a football team mm-hmm. or something. And I'm comfortable there and I really like it. And Sophie's not, it's kind of the opposite where you would, you want to be out front. You want the attention and you like, <laughs> no, but you're good at it and it's, and it suits you. So we're not, 
in any way it doesn't sound like you're actually talking about like being in a band there it sounds like you should do that just like you really enjoy that but weirdly we're actually almost the flip in our private life I think which which is much more extrovert socially I think in some ways but I think it's it's more that it's it's the we're not in any way in competition with each other for what we do and and domestically and personally it's a very similar thing where we don't sort of you know, we have roles like for some reason I end up ended up doing most of the cooking, but it wasn't even like a sort of you need to do that because I'm doing this. Yeah, no. you just kind of covered a lot of the other the looking after the kids and putting them to bed and all of that stuff. Yeah. and it just kind of I think that's that's been a big key to the you know I guess the success of our relationship. We're still together, got five mm, kids. Five kids. Um, is that that dynamic and the fact that we we have these kind of personality types that are complementary rather than yeah competitive so but she yeah she is the boss for (laughs) sure there we go (laughs) that's good to know (laughs) you've got the power you both had illustrious musical careers that have spanned decades and produced endless albums not to mention hit singles Sophie you're on your seventh album is that right I think I've done that one wasn't that familiar oh but but now the kitchen disco album yeah song diaries I've sort of lost track now because um the last two have been two sort of different interpretations of a greatest hits. I did a orchestral record a couple back yeah. called the song diaries. And then last year, yeah, the kitchen disco album, which was all the singles that I'd sung in all the kitchen discos and then some extra covers. So things from new order and pulp and Julie Andrews. Um, and then I'm working on a new album at the moment, which I think that will be my seventh like original album. No, you've done seven. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> okay, I'm glad that I'm not the only one that's confused about this. I think, oh, right. I mean, if you mean the song diary, no, that song well, diaries anyway, was your seven. There's anyway, another so one coming. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm going to carry on with this because then Richard, you are, you've done five albums with The Feeling. You're, the last time I bumped into you and Dan, you were, you were back in the studio for The yeah, Sick. You've yeah. also started a new band with Ed, who you work with, Ed Harkor, yeah. um, Loop Loop Guru. Guru. Yeah. What? I just feel like you guys are so busy. You have like, how do you balance family? Like, a can I don't of know. Five I think a lot of it as well is 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 like the culmination of things that's happened over a period of time as well. Because we kind of and part of it, and you probably find this with like lots of art and books and records, is because no one's been on tour. We've also all been going. What can we do? Yeah, yeah. And so the kitchen disco thing led into a record, and uh, and then you know the. The band uh, that I started with, Ed and Cass, Loop Guru, we've made an album, but we've kind of decided to wait on putting it. We're going to put it out later in the year because we just didn't feel like putting it out when we couldn't gig made sense. Right. Because we're a new band, even though we all have our kind of past sort of things that we've done that are connected, we we want we want to give it the space it deserves. Right. And actually not being able to play live is a nightmare if you're yeah. a new band because yeah. you need yeah. to get in front of people and go, this is what Connect it is. Connect with people. Yeah, so so that's kind of waiting to go. Okay. But in the meantime, with the feeling, we took a bit of a break um, and Dan uh, got focused, which is basically the, one of the reasons Luke Guru happened. Um, and just Dan was focusing on uh, his musical. Yeah. Everybody's talking about Jamie, which was a massive success. And... Of, and it's been made into a movie yep. and so in the last couple of years he's been focused on that but out of that process it actually ended up being that he kind of ended up coming back to the feeling uh to make the soundtrack and which was a lovely thing because he obviously had he had any option in the world i mean uh, with a movie like that and the, you know the the kind of opportunity he could have used any musicians anyone in the best studios and 
I think he kind of, you know, experimented with it a bit, which was the right thing to do. But then he just sort of came back to me and was like, you know what, I think the thing that's going to make this good is if we just work together because that's who I am and that's unique. That's the one, you know, I could get all of these amazing players in that had played on every other musical album, but they don't have the feeling. And right. so he sort of, it sort of came around to the idea that actually it, it would be doing it with his mates in his band that would make it a bit different yeah. and a bit him. And so we ended up playing on the soundtrack and in that process we got back into working together and then we just started on another album and then it kind of has fallen into the situation where we've now re-signed to Island Records um, with the soundtrack and are going to put out our sixth album back where we started because there's this beautiful kind of serendipity about what he's done with his musical and the band playing on that and then us having a new album yeah. and there's a lovely crossover so mm. So that's what where we're we're at. We're just finishing it now. We're mixing it um, starting next week. That's so yeah. exciting. What do you think the secret for carving out a music career that will stand the test of time is? Like, do you feel the pressure to stay current, to have a strong social media presence, presence, and essentially like do it all? I guess. Does it feel like there's a lot to do, or do you feel like you can still just focus on the music and? I think I you think can. Those days have passed. Yeah. Feeling that pressure like that, to be honest. But I that's think nice. I th honestly <laughs> it is think. Nice you've basically got to just, it's like failing upwards in a way where you mm. just keep, like you're saying you're doing all these different things, but actually for both of us, we generally always are. And most of them amount to nothing. Like whether it's the, this That's band so or the crazy to hear you say that because from the outside, everything that you're both doing is amounting to so much more. It, and so and, and, but you only need one or two to happen in right. any given time period for it to feel like your career's moving on. But we've had lots of periods oh, where yeah. things just haven't quite connected. Or some or, things that nothing, I, I got given a good bit of advice really early on from um, Alex James from Blur and he was saying, nobody's career is a straight upward trajectory. There's always peaks and troughs. And I think actually... We found ourselves on both sides of that little wobbly line, haven't we? With yeah. the things we're up to, and I think for me, I'm firstly I'm quite a simple creature, and I just need a little bit of momentum. So long as I've got something to focus on, I can I can get very much behind projects. So long as there's something in the diary, something on the horizon, I've got literally no plan B. I've got nothing else I'm capable of doing. <laughs> so yeah, this is quite you're doing this quite well, and the dancing we have to talk about strictly. <laughs> did you? I feel like did you know that you could dance like that? <laughs> I'm not sure I can dance. Like, I very much got told where to put my feet. But um, You definitely did. I was like... I don't know, it's such a blur. And no one's asked me to waltz or anything like that since then. So I don't know what my capability is like now. And uh, Have you tried to teach Richard at all? I think we probably had a bit of fun with that at the time. But to be honest, yeah. it all went by in a bit of a blur because it was... It was like in some in some aspects of it were wonderful. It was so heady and euphoric and, you know, combination of so many things I love, live music and learning a new skill and dancing and, you know, when it goes well. But in other ways, it was really awful because it was so intense and like I couldn't really focus on anything else. And it was quite tough for us in the house sometimes in terms of I felt like my brain was just sort of It's like a massive, a massive deal. It's a bit like lots of, I guess, if you're on a tour and film or if you're doing a big project mm. is a massive deal at the time yeah but yeah, then but when just... it stops it's like it it just vanished like fairly yeah. quickly it's true and actually i think i felt like it you know my day job there, I but at the time oh yeah but i remember at the time i felt like 
oh yeah well probably well maybe i should learn some of yeah. the moves and do this yeah. with you but then when you get we don't do we don't go ballroom dancing um. in, our, in our normal life and it just sort <laughs> yeah, of have like time for that. <laughs> no it just kind of like ebbed away didn't it yeah i mean when i said it helped my day job i mean really just as a performer i felt very very lucky that after it finished i was still someone that could go out on stage and shimmy about to music and i think it helped me feel even more relaxed actually on stage and just think ah oh, just make it big and bold and go for it and it, it'll read better than if you're apologetic about yourself and I think it was quite good for me like that but the the thing that happened for us is that we had so we had Strictly which was whatever kind of bonkers that was and then I, we'd already done this album called Wonderlust which was my fifth record <laughs> like, really confident number? about that one yeah <laughs> and that was um an album that Richard and I worked on together with Ed who you mentioned and that was a real passion project. It was folky, not dance, not disco. We'd already recorded that. So Strictly was actually a bit of a curve, but I didn't know I was going to do it. And I did it because some girlfriends said, oh my God, you should do Strictly. Um, some of my friends from school. But then that album came out soon after. And I think we just had such an amazing time with that record that it kind of swept us onto the next chapter. It was like a, just a bonkers sort of 12 months really, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. Do the kids ever kind of, do they take much notice of... Like strictly, I do. Yeah, very rewarding. I do see that Kit's phone has got some sort of automatic subscription to my podcast, which I find really funny. I don't think he's ever listened to one. I don't know if he might be interested in uh, working women who also happen to be mothers and how they make it work. No, they're, yeah, they're, so no, they're really they're not brilliant. Yeah, Every they're, subscription counts. Mm, yeah, okay, great. Subscribe <laughs> they're naturally, in a good way, very like uh, blasé and not interested, which I think is, you know, right normal, right? We're, we're their mum and dad. Yeah. And it's also that... It's all about them. When they're, well, well, when they're little, you know, like when Sonny was little and, you know, you remember him coming along to festivals yeah, and stuff when like he was water little. Fights and, yeah, like yeah. a little toddler. And uh, they're just there and they're so cute and they're watching. But as soon as he he kind of hit his teens, it's almost, he can't get away from the fact that it's his dad on stage. <laughs> yeah. And so it doesn't really matter. He's just like, oh, this is a bit cringe, my dad. <laughs> and I, I think that's the natural order that's the of right things. That's the right way. coming out the other side of that. Though, he is it? actually coming out the other side. And it's fine, but I, I think it's healthy. Yeah, it's kind yeah, of like, too. you know, yeah. we're, we're the parents. Definitely. What was the impetus for starting Spinning Plates? I think it started because a friend of ours, a guy called Chris Salmon, he said to me, oh, you should do a podcast. And I was like, oh, everybody's got a bloody podcast, yeah. you know. But then I, it sort of stayed with me and I thought, actually, maybe it's a really nice opportunity to have a chat. And I'm sure you feel the same mm -hmm. way about yours. I've, I actually hold it, it's quite precious to me now, actually. Yeah. So I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to give it a go and just try and get over the slight awkwardness of asking people about whether they'd like to, you know, chat to me for it. Yeah. Um, and I found I just really came out of so many of the recordings feeling really energized and totally. excited and I discovered I'm it gives a place for my natural nosiness and curiosity I love talking to people I love asking them yeah. questions about their life I love finding out new things people never fail to amaze me or interest me and there's just all these little nooks and crannies and I enjoy the shape of the conversation and I find it really satisfying and I love thinking of new people to talk to yeah so, you know, I feel like I can be quite selfish with my podcast. I can do it as long as it gives me that kind of pleasure, really. Yeah. But for now, it's just been really nice. And if anyone tells me they've heard it, I always feel like, oh, that's like a, almost like an extra bonus because I started it in a very much a personal thing of, you know, I think I found myself at like 40, 41 thinking, you know, where have I found, you know, what's, what is my relationship with work and motherhood and how it all combines. And so all these conversations have actually 
helped me define what feels good for me as well. Yeah. I've taken a lot of wisdom from it, actually. Yeah, you've had and you've had some amazing guests on there as well. But people are quite kind of open and candid about what what they've experienced, their own career paths, and yeah. it, is, it is inspiring. Yeah, and I take my lead from them. You know, if there's uh, I can sort of normally read quite easily if there's something they really want to talk about or something they'd rather not. Yeah, and I suppose because I've been doing what I do, you know, a lot of it quite publicly, they feel like they can trust me. That I'm not gonna. Make, the, make it uncomfortable for them. Yeah. I want people to feel really relaxed and happy, just like you do. <laughs> I do, and I hope you have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The last time I bumped into you at the coffee shop, you were with Dan around the corner from the pub where you record. Yeah. And uh, you were saying and showing me that you have bought a place in Italy, in Puglia. Mm. Have you managed to, like, so you bought it and then did lockdown happen or have you been out there yet? Lockdown happened first and then yeah. we managed to, we'd already started the process of buying it. And, and then we go. completed, managed to get out there to get the yeah. keys. And we actually managed to go last year more than once. We were incredibly lucky. In between. <laughs> In between, yes. And we had to furnish it all and all of this stuff. And it's it's just really, feels really exciting. It was like a real, like, like a big sort of present to give ourselves really of just somewhere. Even when we're here, I, I like the idea that's that's somewhere out there for us is really, it really makes me happy. Hmm. Um, and why was it Italy? Because you guys got married in Italy. Right? Yeah, Do you we have love Italy. Love it? yeah. We've yeah. got, we don't, I mean, we should probably learn Italian. I think you got, you bought an app, <laughs> See, didn't fantastic. you? Yeah. <laughs> but we, um, no, we got married there. We have no family connection, anything, but we just love really the culture. Like yeah. The weather, the food is just amazing. Yeah. And just the lifestyle and and particularly for families, it's all about family over there and they have that mm. very relaxed attitude of everyone's out with their kids having dinner together and it's you know, yeah. just really suits us, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, it does. And it's yeah, something we sort of thought about for a really long time. So to be lucky enough to be able to do that last year was really mm. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. We just moved house and I actually um am still saying to Tom, like, oh, maybe we should just sell this though and then just buy and kind of re like you know, decamp to Italy and just live <laughs> there and do that. He's like, mm, we just did this yeah. though. <laughs> should we do this for a bit longer? Um that's a really nice thought. So as soon as you can, oh, is that yeah. gonna be your yeah. first destination? Yeah, we'd like to go back there with the kids and, and to the kids jump in the pool and yeah, that's the whole point of it is to yeah have that thing where we don't get a lot of holiday and we, we tend to only have maybe a week normally where we actually have like a proper family week away in the summer holidays right because of festivals and stuff so yes. the idea of just starting that process of your shoulders dropping and the relax that bit quicker because you know exactly how long it is from the airport and exactly what you expect yeah. when you get the key in the door it's like for us that just mm. mean that we just eke out the absolute most of whatever time we manage to get each year yeah um, and maybe you'll yeah. actually try and get away more frequently because you've just well, it's that'd, be nice. set up. that'd be nice yeah yeah Oh, that sounds but I love, good. yeah, I love. And again, going back to the food thing, just the produce in Italy is incredible yeah. and massively marked up over here. Understandably, because it has to mm. get here. But when you go to any supermarket, like the, just the tomatoes, yeah. just a tomato. With <laughs> like, did you know Italy is opening in Bishopsgate? Really? So, yeah, so a big like food hall. I don't have you ever been to one of those? No. So well, yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, all the incredible produce yeah. and then restaurants, everything. It's like a big kind of food hall come dining. Sounds fun. Mm. Yeah. So you can have a little taste of Something Italy. Something to look forward to, yeah. What do you guys still want to accomplish? What's on the radar? What's next for you? I don't really look too far ahead, if I'm honest. Yeah, um, it's not, to be honest, it's <laughs> what's a bit mad now, as I was saying, I was again saying to you earlier, is that 
now things are starting up again, it's actually a little overwhelming because we've kind of got into this year where we've been in our own little bubble and we've been working together a lot and, you know, on the on the discos and the album and the podcast, which I edit for Sophie. We've just been like a little team getting yeah. on with stuff. But now things are up and running with, with my band again and all both bands and we've got gigs and tours happening. We've actually got gigs in the diary up until next hang on so when do gigs start up again what's the deal well, with after June as soon 21st? as is yeah it? literally yeah, yeah. they're all that whether they'll happen or not we still don't know right but from then on up until the end of september and then we've actually got sophie's got a tour next march mm. and then the feeling have a tour after that next may and so we've got gigs in the diary up until next june which is really unusual often we'll get to the first of january and i'll always be like Happy New Year. And then I'll look at the diary and be like, there's nothing in it. <laughs> and then you just have this feeling of like, okay. And then you just kind of make... Get, trust in the process. Yeah, you yeah. just get stuff happening. But we, we've we never had a period... Of, I've never known that I'm going on a tour a year from now. That's, yeah. We're still not... Over a year from now. Yeah. So it's, it's a bit of a weird time, isn't it, for everyone? Yeah. yeah. And I think for this year, I just want to finish my album and... I've got my book coming out later in the year, which yeah. should be exciting. I wrote That's, a book. I, I love that you just kind of drop that in, in amongst everything else, the podcast, the mm. dancing, the Well, you know, you can, albums. you can work things around other stuff. So it was when the kids have been back at school or I got into a little rhythm with taking the little ones out in the morning and then having some help in the afternoon so I could write for a couple of hours. But I've actually, I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's quite nice just to sit down and, and do that. So that comes out in... October. And now before we wrap things up, I need to ask you firstly, how you feel about condiments? And oh. secondly, what you're putting in your sandwich today? Condiments. Well, I'm the condiment queen. Yes. Talk to me. I, <laughs> I can't, I've got a whole shelf in my fridge yeah. for condiments. It's important, isn't it? It's vital. In fact, I think I pick the main thing depending on what condiment it means I get to have right. with it. Um, for a long, long time, there was Sophie... only ketchup in my life. Yeah. Heinz. But, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I really love ketchup. Like I've got a special bond with ketchup, but mayonnaise <laughs> is there too. Yeah. Um, but, but you have, Sophie will have all the condiments with any roast. So rather than just being like mint with lamb, yeah. horseradish with beef. I you don't know. love that rule. No, you made no it Sophie has all of them with yeah, everything. Yeah, I think I would. That's so you... good. Actually, have you ever tried it with a baked potato? It's really delicious. <laughs> which, hang on, which one? All of if them. You could, yeah, when I was, I haven't done this in a long time, but I used to put in a baked potato a bit of mint sauce and cranberry and mayonnaise and ketchup and sort of mash it all together and eat that. I think I just love vinegar and sugar. Yeah. <laughs> and then a creamy finish. Yeah. 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 But I, yeah, I can't get enough of that stuff. But yeah. I, I'm obsessed with uh, Spicy. hot sauces. So we actually in the kitchen, we have a, a little drawer just for hot sauces. <laughs> nice. It's got a little areas. A lot of, you know, from Mexico, Which Caribbean. And there's a lot, there's some really good stores in Bright. There's one in Brighton. There's a few good spice shops right. where you can pick, but a lot of them from travels. If we're touring, I'll always go yeah, you pick, up, pick up a local hot sauce. Mm. Yeah. And oh, yeah, just spice is just great. It just can, it can really elevate any kind of simple yeah. meal. Just it pretty it much on depth. anything. It's, again, <laughs> is there it's, any dish that it wouldn't work with? I'm just well, I, I love now, like even with a roast, I like that, you know, when you have like a spicy jam. Like a, would you do, see, I don't think I would mix, I wouldn't cross contaminate those two. No, but you know, like when you get... Um, I'd definitely go ketchup, probably could be talked into mayonnaise in there, in with the gravy. Yeah, but, I wouldn't put, I wouldn't put mayonnaise with a roast actually. I would probably add it to my potatoes. Yeah, that's yeah. nice. You can't really beat a good potato with some mayonnaise. It depends how much gravy was to hand. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. That might be a bit weird. But yeah. <laughs> might curdle. 
For me, chicken <laughs> with bread sauce, but rather bread than sauce is, but ra- rather than cranberry, using like a spice jam. Okay, it's just amazing. Good. I'm yeah. up for all of the above. All really. of the yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm glad about that. But I can't have chips without ketchup. That would make me sad. No. Mm. And we were actually talking, um, I was talking to Angela Hartner and she grew up with a, her family ran a fish chip shop. And yeah, I mean, I, in my mind, it's quite important the order of, you know, when you have chips, you add your vinegar, then your salt so that there's something to stick to. I feel like there's an order when it comes to yeah. things. Mm. That's true. Yeah. You can't kind of, because you just don't want to risk getting it wrong. No. But I just don't, again... <laughs> I've seen people eating chips without dipping it into ketchup. And or I the find, curry sauce or something. I find that very strange. Yeah, but also I don't like it when you put ketchup like over the chips. I like it on the, on side, the side so you can moderate the amount. <laughs> I personally don't add salt to my fish and chip shop chips. Do you not? No, I just never have. I find that strange But I always too. have a gherkin. In fact, quite often too. Yeah, <laughs> the large ones. Oh, even saying gherkin made my mouth water. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then what are you um, making today? A fish finger sandwich. Finally! Yeah, I've had oh. the oven on this entire time, so it's definitely the right, <laughs> right temperature for the fish fingers now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Captain Birds, I'd be happy with me. It's, it's just great comfort food, isn't it? Oh, and I'm really ready for it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so, you can't hear my tummy rumbling. <laughs> what's, the, what's the order of condiments that, that's going to go into this? Because I presume there's going to be condiments with this. Yeah, I think yeah. I was thinking of making like a, putting some cornichons and maybe some red onion Maybe some it's capers. sort of like a pimped up mayonnaise, yeah. so it's a bit tartar sauce Yeah, yeah a bit so. of lemon juice, mayonnaise for sure, and then ketchup to dip. I wouldn't put it inside, put it on the side. Okay. But that's just me. I'm, I don't, I'm not going to frown. Have you got any, any <laughs> lettuce type thing? Nah. Really? I'm going to go pure. No. I don't want lettuce in it, thanks. I do. <laughs> you can have that. Do we have that? <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Everything is an option. I'm just, that's just what I'm doing with did mine. You got, did you get any dill? Yeah. Good. It's a like buffet a little, of, yeah. of condiments yeah, and like, herbs. Yeah. herbs. Amazing. Well, I'm very excited about this. And I've, it's been so nice to be here to see you both again. Oh, you too. To see you doing so brilliantly. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, let's eat. <laughs> thank you for joining me this week on The Filling. You can follow me at Anna Barnett Cooks on Instagram for exclusive visuals of my guests' fabulous kitchens and for the recipe to recreate their go-to sandwiches. And of course, subscribe to The Filling on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. The music for today's podcast was recorded by Pony Bones.